good to see you tonight, church. Let's turn our Bibles again to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and then also 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll get into the, the study tonight. Hope you've had a good week and definitely been enjoying church and, and being with the, with the church family. Good, good to see the, the dedications indeed this morning and getting to meet some of the just the families that were invited to to come along and good to see them, the extended family, and I hope that that was a, uh, just a, a good time with them as well. It's good to catch up with friends as well. I've got um, Burns and Ellen from Southland, well, Camden Valley Baptist Church, and they're part of a new church plant over there in the southwest um, of, of Sydney. And so um, they were part of, of Southland for a long time until recently, uh, but starting a work there over at Camden Valley, um, a church out of uh, Sherwood Hills Baptist Church. Some of you are familiar with that, a church that's been there for a while. So it's good to see churches starting, right? That's a good thing. And so pray for them as, as they, they help in that uh, endeavor there. It's um, Pastor Van Dyke who's um, taking that on now. And so I believe they've just, uh, just started uh, in the last couple of weeks and already a good crowd there that they're, they're seeing. But pray for that. It's always a, it's always a joy to hear, to hear about churches getting started all over uh, Australia and just anywhere really, but, but particularly here in, in our nation. And then it was also good to see the, the Bard family. They, they're from Queenbean Bible Baptist Church, just um, traveling through. If you know um, Brother Nathan Bard, he, uh, he takes his kids to fulfill their hours. He drives all the way to Yapoon from Queenbean and then back just so they can get their hours done. And so he's done that with um, one of his younger ones now, Jackson, and just, just sort of reminiscing a little bit this morning, Jackson you came to our children's camps you, uh, and then our youth camps over the years in Sydney, and now he's getting his license, getting those hours in, and, um, and, and uh, so it was nice to, see, to just bump into them this, this morning as they were traveling through. But I'm glad for the family of God. I'm glad that we can, we can have friends and, and we could just fellowship uh, just, just together in... in in just our, our service for the Lord, and that's really important. And that, that's why I think hosting our leadership conference is really important and, and something that, that we ought to just not take for granted but have a real passion for it. And so if you uh, get the chance, look at the dates and, and make sure you're here, but then also just get serving and get part of that and plenty of, uh, plenty of things to, to get involved in there. But um, really the, the output of that is to be able to be a blessing to, to churches of like faith who will come from all parts of Australia, some from overseas even, and uh, will be here so we can be a blessing and we can be a help to them. And so I wanted to encourage you to pray for that, but also be, be part of that as we uh, get, some, uh, get, get organized as we lead into that time. And, um, you know, this morning uh, we were going through the book of Ruth and then tonight we're going through the rapture. And one of our young adults said to me this, this morning, said, when are we going to get to the romance part? And, um, and I said, very soon, all right. And I start taking notes there. And, and uh, I think that's what they're excited about. But, you know, there's more to life, right? But um, 1 Corinthians 15. And let's read verses, uh, verses 51 to 53. And um, I, I know we're going to go through... Just very basic things, even last time we looked at a, a very quick timeline of, of the, the end times and the eschatology there, and on purpose just wanting to, to just get back to the basics of it to begin with, 
And some of you are wondering, and, and I know you've, you've, you're, you're firing away maybe at the questions that you might have there, and I told you to hold on and wait on that. Um, but Lord willing, as we go through this, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more depth as far as, um, as, as, far as what the, the Bible has to say about the, the timing of the, the rapture and so forth. But on, on purpose, I want to give a very basic, just so we know where we're at and we're not, we're not sort of, you know, jumping ahead of that because I don't want to take it uh, for granted and I don't want to assume tonight that you know what we're talking about. And I understand that a church, even our size, there are some who've never heard of this, some who've never heard about the rapture, some who just wouldn't know even a very basic definition of it. So on purpose, I wanted to start there. And so maybe some of you, you're not that excited about the couple of things that we've already talked about. And even tonight, we're going to cover a lot of the basic things. But I want you to just, just maybe look at it afresh again and just reinforce that in your heart even this evening. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and uh, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now skip with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 to 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we're talking about the rapture. And tonight we'll just talk about some of the basics of that. And I wanted to read firstly an excerpt from our Constitution and our Statement of Doctrine. And so that's the basis of which we believe. And, and so we see here first uh, in this, this excerpt, we also believe in the rapture of the saints when Jesus will come in the air to receive all who have truly been born again into glory with himself. This rapture precedes the tribulation period and takes place about seven years before Christ's visible coming in power and great glory. And a couple of scriptures there that are provided, we read 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through to 57, Revelation 3, 10, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so we, there's a differentiation that we make already from our statement of doctrine about the, the rapture and then Christ's visible coming in and what we commonly call Christ's second coming. And we'll talk a little bit about that in the next couple of weeks. But uh, the rapture, when you think about it, it, it's been given worldwide exposure through several means. You know, firstly, there's a popularity of Tim LaHaye's books and movies, yeah, the Left Behind series. And there's, there's other similarly themed concepts that have been sort of perpetuated and even changed a little bit over the course of the, this media age. And, you know, sometimes those who argue that this position of a pre-tribulation rapture really just stems from some of the popularity of that and there's some sort of, you know, we're a little novice when we, in our study of the Bible, and hence we take that position. 
And, and that's, but that's generally the, uh, the, the people's concepts, general population's concept of the rapture is based on some of the Left Behind series. I remember uh, even as a young boy, uh, just, just sometimes going to a, a church movie and it's always the Left Behind stuff that they showed and all of that and always to scare, scare us into thinking about the rapture and all of that. And, and sometimes my early concepts of that, to, truth be told, were some of those visuals that I saw. Um, there was also popular preaching by guys like Jack Van Imp, who uh, still is today, is, is someone who says he's a, a specialist in prophecy. But when you think about it, the, just the, the sudden disappearance of a group of people, it, it's, it makes for, for some pretty compelling storytelling, doesn't it? And so there's, there's already just that, just, it's a bit of an attention-getting kind of teaching. And even recently... If you remember the, the police shooting in, uh, in Abak, Queensland, it included a report by the, those investigating the whole thing that, that somehow tied in to those that were the perpetrators to imply that the belief in the imminent return of Christ to be a contributing factor to the shooter's delusions. And so there's a lot of what I'm saying, there's a lot of information out there, but a lot of misconception as well. But then you tie that into, I think, sometimes the understanding of, of the Bible's position on the rapture, it's become greatly diminished because of really a few reasons. Firstly, there's a lack of emphasis from the pulpit. You know, I remember just, again, growing up in, in our types of churches, how, you know, every once in a while there was some sort of prophecy conference or some sort of night where the, where the preacher just covered it. Um, and, and really didn't, didn't shy away from teaching through that. But it just seems to be there's more and more of a lack of emphasis from generally pulpits all around our nation and in the Western world. All right, as the church has become more worldly, remember we talked about the falling away, there's a lackluster preaching on the rapture because it simply means that our life on earth is suddenly done. There's, a, there's a, somewhat a bit of an emphasis on our life here on earth. And we understand we're still here, right? And we still, we're not of the world, but we live in the world. And there may also be a little bit sometimes of an assumption that people already know, and yet over and over again, there's much that we're able to, to, uh, to glean from scriptures and able to put in remembrance of it. Even when we observe the Lord's Supper, right? This do ye and as often as you do it in remembrance of me. But then he, he says um, to continue in that remembrance until he comes. And, and you know, there's, a, there's all of the, the themes of, of the end times and eschatology is, is just really actually written into a lot of even how we remember Christ and how we look forward to his return. And so all of that is tied into that, but sometimes there's a lack of emphasis from the pulpit. But also, because of, because of the day we live in, with the media exposure and all of that, there's also a wealth of other theories from external forces. And we all know that, that all of us here is just from a, a click of a button, we can access all amounts of information, if I can say kindly, also misinformation. And, you know, the, the cleverness of, of, of that, of the of those external forces, sometimes I just believe it's just, just the spiritual forces that confuse and can sometimes even shake the very confidence that we have in, in what is clearly taught in the Word of God. 
And so pair that with the, uh, the lack of clear teaching about it count, comes really the counterfeiting of it. And can I remind you tonight that the, de- the devil is the master counterfeiter. And this causes, I think, the lost to be confused, but then it causes the Christian to focus on the wrong things. Okay, there's, there's a lot of different deceptions. There's a lot of the end of the world type of movies. There's false teachers. There's churches that completely avoid the subject because it's controversial. And then there's just, just information and misinformation available online. And uh, John Knox, who writes a book on, on this very topic, he says this about, about this, this phenomena. A new wave of writers have sought to infiltrate Bible-believing and fundamental churches with attacks upon the belief in that blessed hope and those who hold to the promise. Some weak in the faith are shaken by these doubtful disputations. Some who profess correct beliefs but cannot locate them in their Bible are taken in. Some good people and godly ministers come to see their inability to defend against unexpected attacks and find themselves looking for clear answers for those doting about questions and strifes of words. And it's true, you know, there's a lot of conjecture at times that, that can affect and a lot of those external forces at play. But I think it's just this, there's a concerted spiritual attack to change the Christian's mindset. And you know, so much of the teaching today about the rapture bypasses the fact that the Bible calls this event our blessed hope, that it's a teaching to comfort. And I think the lack of emphasis on the imminency of the rapture has caused Christians to view the end times from a doom point of view. And for the Christian, this is something actually to look forward to. It's meant to motivate us. It's meant to get us going. And so tonight, I just want to look at a couple of just very basic things again. And just to start off as a bit of a foundation before we get into some deeper things and, and really have you guys ready for us to take, take on uh, some deeper things of the Word of God. So firstly, the particulars of the rapture. When you search your scriptures, the word rapture isn't found in the Bible. All right, that's a good start. But the idea of God taking someone bodily from earth to heaven is found numerous places in the Bible. Now we understand, the Bible teaches us that when we come to that time of death, for us as Christians is to be absent from the body, is to be what? Present with the Lord. So the normal, the normal means in which we come into God's presence from this earth is to be absent from the body, it's death, isn't it? And we understand that. We, we see death. But there were several people in the Bible that, that God didn't, didn't cause there to be death that way. He caused them to be taken up. He caused them to be transported from this place to the other. And we see, uh, firstly, and we, we won't look at these references, we will in a little bit, but the first example of that is Enoch. Right? In Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, Right? Enoch walked with God, and then God took him. The Bible doesn't talk about he, was, he went through death, God took him. We know Elijah, in 2 Kings 2.11, he went up by a whirlwind. God took him to heaven that way. We know Jesus, after his resurrection, he ascended. In Luke 24.51, he was carried up into heaven. We know Paul... During a time there, he was caught up to the third heaven in 1 Corinthians 12, 2. 
And then John was called up in Revelation 4.1, come up hither. And then even during the tribulation time, the two witnesses, it says in Revelation 11.12, it was come up hither was the instruction. And so these, these translations and, and, and that word rapture is, is really the anglicized form of the Latin word rapto, which means to be caught up and its verb form repere, meaning to transport from one place to another, and in the Greek word, hypatso, which simply means caught up. All right, and so other terms that historically it's been known as is our catching away. It's also been known as our gathering together unto him, but truly the Bible refers to this as that blessed hope. So theologically, the doctrine of the rapture is a catching away of the church when the Lord Jesus calls them to the air with him. The doctrine of imminency, which teaches that the Lord can return for the church, his bride, at any moment is emphasized. And the signs of the times generally are attributed to the visible second coming of Christ, where the church will return with him. And again, we'll, we'll show the differences there as we study scripture together in the next couple of weeks. And so that's just the, the particulars of the rapture. We just gave a, a very basic definition of that and even types and occurrences of that type in the Word of God. What we did read about is also the, who the participants of the rapture is. Who are they? And it's helpful for us to have a list of those who will be involved in the rapture. And firstly, we see there in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, we see that firstly the, the person involved is the Lord himself. Okay, For the Lord himself shall descend. Okay, Descending from heaven with a shout. The Bible says he will be in the air and visible for us to see. All right, then we see that secondly, the second participant is the voice of the archangel. So there's also the archangel who's there. He's an he's a angelic being. He's the leader of the army of the angels. It seems to be Michael from all indications of other scriptures that that's referring to. But then there's a third a third participants there who are the believers who have died. Okay, again in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So we have those who have died, those believers who are in Christ. Now, again, when you study through that, that reference to, to someone who is in Christ, it's someone who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ to be their saviour. Okay, that's, that's who are in Christ, those who are, who are not just professors of Christ, but who are possessors of Christ. Okay, but they're the dead in Christ, and those, are the, those who are part of the church, the, those in Christ, those who are saved, who had died before this time. And, and so again, you're, you're maybe you're asking, well, didn't you just say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? This is going to be a bodily resurrection. Okay, this is going to be a resurrection of the dead bodies of, of those believers. All right, and, and again, we see, we read it early in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. So there's this transformation that happens. Their bodies will rise and it be made glorified. This, incorruption shall, uh, this corruption shall put on incorruption. Okay, this mortal shall put on immortality. And that twinkling of an eye, in that moment, we shall be changed. And again, you know, we, we, uh, there's, there's a lot of conjecture. What if they were 
are cremated? What if all of that, as if God can't do anything? <laughs> of course he can. And we look at all of that and we see that they are going to be involved. They're going to be the first ones. All right, so the believers who have died. But then, very importantly, in verse 17, they which we are, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. So this is un, uh, undoubtedly the great hope. We see that those that are alive and remain shall be caught up. So those of us, if, if it was to happen right now, all of us here who are alive, this will be us if you're saved. Okay, the believers who are alive. So we who are alive will be raised bodily into the air. We'll be given new bodies. And again, you know, all your efforts and all of that, and I'm not saying be a poor steward of it, but guess what? In a moment, you know, no need for exercise and diet. It'll just happen. All right? Can you? That, that's just how God is, right? Like we put in all the effort, and then God just goes, there's a shout, there's a trumpet, boom. All that effort. I, I just think about that sometimes when I'm eating a donut, all right? But, <laughs> but that's, that's what happens. Okay, those are the participants of the rapture. And so the Lord himself, there's the archangel, there's the believers who have died and the believers who are alive. Now the pattern of the rapture is this. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, we read it earlier, Behold, I show you a mystery. So the fact that the rapture was hidden ages past, right? We know that, that the church was a mystery, okay? There was a lot of typology about the church. There was a lot of things that the, the, even the prophets referred to that they didn't have clear understanding about because there's certain mountain peaks that they could see, but there were certain valleys that God hid in mystery until time to come. And the church in the Old Testament was a mystery greatly. But then we also know that the rapture, he says, behold, I show you a mystery. This was something he was going to reveal that wasn't quite revealed before. And so the fact of the rapture, it was hidden ages past, but now it's revealed. Paul, again, who is the, the apostle to the Gentiles, who, he was the, really the steward that God gave to be able to usher in this, this time of the Gentiles, this time of the church, this age of grace that we now are part of, Paul was given the mandate to be the steward of that. And now he's teaching the early church about it in his writings, in our holy scriptures. And so it's a revealing. We see a pattern given that leads to the, the, the timing and, and the purpose of the rapture. And what we see in scripture is a pattern of what takes place in the rapture and its significance. And then we're going to see as we unravel some things that actually God patterns it in different ways as well throughout Scripture. So that's when it's going to get quite exciting. We're going to dig through Scripture um, on, the, on the Sunday evenings. But there's an order of events. We already referred to it. Firstly, there's a shout. Right? There's a shout. I don't know what the shout's going to sound like, but there's going to be a shout. Right? But then there's going to be a trumpet. And, and that's significant. There's the mention of the trumpet in three places. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and Revelation chapter 4. Okay, Revelation 4.1, After this I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was uh, as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And the trumpet is, is an important 
uh, instrument in, in the Bible, and specifically in Bible times. And I often say that, you know, I'm glad we have a trumpet. The trumpet really, when you look at it and study it in Scripture, is the instrument of worship. Right? It's the instrument of worship, but it was also used for different things. The trumpet was often used in Bible times as a call for battle, as a call for warning. But it was often called, uh, it was a call to assemble. Okay, look at Numbers chapter 10. Look at Numbers chapter 10. And notice verses 1 to 3. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver. Of a whole piece shalt thou make them, and thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. I'm going to see just there's, there's some mirroring there in in the next couple of weeks again, just some mirroring of, of some of the tabernacle and some of the feasts. But we see that even the trumpet was often used as a call to assembly, right? We, we've just observed just a month ago Anzac Day, and we hear the last post, right? And there's a solemn time. It's meant to be a time of attention, and it's a time of assembling as a community. And so this trumpet sounds... And then the next thing that happens is the catching away. Right? It's, that's the whole point of the rapture. It's a catching away. And, and it's imminent. We don't know when, but soon is all the Bible says. It, it involves all of the saved, both dead and living. What we call that is the church. Okay? The church, biblically, is those who are saved in Christ. That's the church. It's all saved. It's all Christians. Okay, both faithful and carnal. Okay, there are some who will be surprised because they're living away from the Lord. But they're saved. And so no need for there to be a perseverance or there's no such thing as a loss of salvation. You know, that's not the point. It's just a call to assemble. And we see that there's that catching away. And we're not appointed to that time of Jacob's trouble because it's for Jacob. And so we'll look at that again. But we have an observation of different examples. There's some pre-tribulation types. And we're just going to quickly observe these. I think observing these two examples tonight, it reinforces God's pattern for a pre-tribulation rapture. And whilst... I know this isn't concrete evidence tonight of a, of a pre-trib position. Again, that, that's going to be really the sum of the rest of our studies to go through that. We're going to observe them as part of a pattern that we see in, in Scripture because we're talking about the pattern, just the, some of the basic things here. And, and these two, I think, is a great, great picture of that. Look at Genesis chapter 5, and we referred to it. We know who we're going to talk about. Genesis chapter 5. And I chose these two examples um, out, of, out of all the other ones, because it, it gives us two different types of people. One is Enoch, where the Bible says in, in, in verse 21, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God, 
after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And notice this, and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So there's this man, Enoch, who actually he walked with God. He was, a, he was faithful. He was someone that, you know, God saw his faithfulness. And, and yet Enoch was raptured prior to a certain judgment. What, what was that? It's the flood. The judgment was about to come. There, there was this, this flood that was to come. It was going to come. Methuselah was a precursor to that. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.5 about Enoch by faith. Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And so we see someone who is walking with God, someone who had pleased God and, and God raptured him in a sense. But then we see another character. Look at Genesis chapter 19. And now we see another character, Lot. Lot who lived in a place of sin. In fact, the Bible says here about him, Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. And, And so... We see that there was, there was going to be a judgment on this place, but the Lord wasn't going to judge until he removed Lot. And why, why is that important? Because the Bible tells us about Lot. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. In verse 4, says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And notice verse 6, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live godly, and delivered just Lot. You know what Lot was? He was just. He was right in the sight of God, but he was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And notice the description, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. He's saying about just lot. One who was a righteous man, actually, and yet was living and he was vexed with the filthy conversations of the wicked. He was living far from the, the place of blessing. And, the, and yet God still looked and he said, I'm going to rescue him before judgment comes. And there's a pattern there. And so he was rescued prior to judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, which was then called Zor. And so we see that there's a pattern of Scripture. And again, it's not concrete evidence. We're not, we're not getting to that yet, but we will get to it. But there's a pattern there again. But the, the purpose really of the rapture comes in three parts. Firstly, it's to remove the church. 
Okay, we saw that clearly as we, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It was to remove the church. All believers in Christ, the church of God, will be removed to be with him. And this keeps us from his wrath to come and identifies us as, as, as separate to Israel because we are. All right, and we'll study that out. But then it's, the second purpose is to review the church. Because we don't just, we're not just up in the air for seven years. Right? All believers will then face the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, that'll be the time, the time of tribulation here for seven years. There'll be a time of judgment in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And listen, we're no longer under condemnation. Right, if you're saved here tonight, this judgment isn't to damn you to to hell or to bless you into heaven. No, it's to judge your works, whether it's gold or silver and precious stones or wood, hay and stubble. So be careful about the life that you live because it's going gonna, it's gonna to speak to the kind of uh, honoring we're going to receive from the Lord so that we can honor him back. It's the review of the church. But then there's, it's also to reassign the spirit. And the Spirit of God, really the, the main inhabitants of the Spirit of God right here is sitting right here in this room and sitting in different assemblies all around this world. It's called the Church of God. All right, who dwells in us when we're saved? The Holy Spirit. And we see, again, we'll study this passage in, in greater depth, so I won't, won't take the time in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But in verse 7, the Bible tells us, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And I'll explain that in the context of that, it's speaking about the Holy Spirit. Okay, and the Holy Spirit has been acting as a deterrent for the judgment of God because it was his job to do that on earth. He was to convince the world of judgment and righteousness and sin. And so he's the one, and, and through us as God's people, those who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, we are really, as we live for God and we don't quench his Spirit, we don't frustrate the Spirit of God, and we don't grieve the Holy Spirit, that's why it's so important, we're actually to be those, God's hands, God's feet, and we are to go out and be really the, 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 the ones that are the temples of the Holy Ghost. We're to go about, and everywhere we go, we're supposed to be a presence of the Holy Ghost in that place. And that's why it's so important. So to, for the removal of, of the church, there's going to be a reassignment of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be removed. And, and His reassignment will let or allow God's judgment to be enacted. But, but He won't be missing. Look at John chapter 16. Okay, look at John chapter 16. And verse 7. We touched on this earlier. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, 
of judgment because the prince of the world is judged. And so there's a, there's a period there that there's a, a reassignment or there's an allowance of God's judgment to be enacted. But, but he, won't be, he won't be missing in that sense. There'll, there'll be a, still a working and we'll, we'll identify that as we continue on. And so that, that's really the, the basics of the rapture. We see some of the particulars of it. We, we define it as just a, that catching away. We see it in its, in its participants. We see it in its pattern. And, and what's the pertinence of the rapture? What does this all mean? It's the rapture. It's our comfort. It's our hope. It's our imminent catching away. And we won't, we won't exhaust it, but there's, there's, just a, there's just some things I think that God calls us to because of that. Firstly, we need to be faithful to assemble. Right? Hebrews 10.25. So much the more as you see the day. We're supposed to be faithful to remember. Right? That's the Lord's Supper. As often as you do it. And we had a sweet time on, the, on Wednesday. We observed it. We need to be faithful to love others. We need to be faithful to be patient. We need to be faithful to be holy. We need to be faithful to forbear. We need to be faithful to preach. We need to be faithful to comfort. We need to be faithful to evangelize. And we need to be faithful to be heavenly minded. Set your affections on things above. And so it is. All of that touches on the rapture, this, this, this imminent re, uh, return for us. And, and that's our hope. The rapture is our, is our living hope. It's a glorious truth. And one that ought to fill us with, with great hope, but also, I think, with great soberness about how we're living. Because what's next after the rapture? It's the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to stand there, and, and guess what? Mom and dad's not going to hold your hand. You're going to stand on your own. You're going to stand right there. And you're going to get an account. God's going to ask you, about decisions that you made, about how you used your life. And there's going to be that, there's going to be that, that, that reality that, you know, actually this life that we should have lived for Christ, we should have lived better for Christ. And, and right after the rapture is that. And so there, there ought to be, that ought to fill us with hope. But ought to fill us with a great urgency to live right and do right. And to live our lives with great purpose for the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so Lord willing, the next time we, we pick it up, we'll look at a little bit about the differences between the, the rapture and the second coming. And then we'll look at some of the different positions. It will go through and strengthen um, through, through the scriptures the, the whole position of the exactness of the, the rapture. And that'll be a great, interesting time. And um, so let's pray, and then um, we'll, we'll sing a song, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, again. Thank you for the, the Lord, just the, the blessed hope that we have that, Lord, although we traverse this, this world at, at any point, you can call us, Lord, and you can, we'll hear a shout and a great trump. And, Father, we can, Lord, rest assured of the, the fact that, Lord, as one of yours, you'll call us away. I do pray that you'd help us as we continue to study your word that we'd, be, we'd, we'd develop depth and, and de develop a great, uh, Lord, assurance, Lord, of, of that blessed hope. And I pray that you'd help us to live this week, 
realizing that, Lord, what's to come? Lord, once we hear that, once we're caught up, is the judgment seat. And I pray, dear God, that will give us great hope and soberness in our daily lives. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name.